Right, good morning and happy Easter, right? Jesus is risen, the tomb is empty, he has ascended, he rules with all authority over the entire creation. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Amen. Right, good stuff. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, please. It is always great over Easter to see... Um, yeah, people we haven't seen for a while to come back. So I just want to say as well, Yam Kela, so awesome to see you. And Como, uh, anyone else? Wonderful, man. This is what it's about, right? And we are, yeah, we are, we are family, an extended family, exactly because of, of resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to read from verse 1 to 8. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which was received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to uh, Kephas, and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. You know, every movement is built on something. Every movement is based or is built on an influential individual or or an amazing event, a special event. The Christian faith is built on the resurrection of Jesus, an event which established him as Lord and King, the event that established him as the one who has come to put right the wrongs of the world, you know, to rescue and to bring hope and salvation to all, to put all things right. No other movement or faith has anything like this as its foundation. No other movement is formed on this event, this kind of concept. Um, no other movement claims that it, its leader was killed by his enemies but was raised from the dead. And to many in the, in the world, this is an outrageous claim. You know, they think it's a myth. I mean, what crazy story is this? And to them, we are to be pitied for believing such an unlikely story. You know, Paul goes on to write in um, the verse 19 that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then indeed we deserve to be pitied. Now, people should feel sorry for us, you know, for falling for this yarn, this fake news. You know, we are to be pitied, Paul says. Uh, we will be giving up our lives for nothing if the resurrection wasn't a real event. And I just want to start my lesson, um, this is not the main point of the lesson, but just, just to help us understand and to really be convicted of that outside of the Bible there is evidence for resurrection. And I'm just going to share four with you this morning, there are many, and I'm going to go through this uh, pretty quickly. Firstly, Paul converted to Christianity. Um, this is a well-documented fact outside of the Bible, you know, the writings uh, elsewhere. And Paul converted to Christianity after encountering someone who, who, he who he really believed was risen from the dead. You know, when your, when your arch enemy converts, your arch enemy who was the most 
zealous, cruel persecutor of your movement. When that arch enemy converts and follows you, uh, there must be something in that, right? There must be something in the claim that Jesus resurrected. Paul would not have converted. Paul would not have given up his, his fame, his reputation, his wealth, his family. You know, everything that he stood for, Paul would not have given that up if he did not really encounter the risen Christ. It says something. You know, G Paul did see and hear the risen Jesus. You know, secondly, shortly after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, uh, Jewish converts changed their day of worship from a Saturday to a Sunday. And these were, these were Jews who, who zealously guarded their traditions and their culture, including worshiping on a Saturday. Why would they switch their day of worship, such an important part of who they were in their daily and weekly and monthly routines, why would they switch that from Saturday to the day when Jesus rose from the dead? They really believed that Jesus rose from, rose from the dead to the point of changing something that was so sacred and special to them. And then all of the close disciples of Jesus, except, except John, they died horrible deaths for what they believed, often after extended torture. I mean, who willingly dies for something that they know is a lie? Um, you know, none of them, when they face death, they said, oh, wait a bit here. This actually isn't the way, you know, this isn't actually what we're about. You know, I and my buddies, we got together and we made up the story. You know, and we just thought it'll be a bit of fun, you know, just to put this out there. Never, they, they never, they never denounced their faith, renounced their faith. Confronted with the cruelest of deaths, they said, I believe that Jesus is Lord, that he rose from the dead. Jesus is Lord, Caesar isn't. They proclaimed the resurrection even as they died. Who dies for something that's not true? And then finally, the first witnesses of the resurrection were women. Now, if this was a made-up story, if people were getting together with, for this, you know, this elaborate plot to develop this conspiracy theory, whatever, uh, there is no way that they would have written into the story that women were witnesses of the resurrection, especially the first witnesses. They would not have had women written into the story as, as witnesses. Why? Because women in that culture in the first century were not, were not considered as reliable witnesses. Women could not testify or witness in court. That's true, Sibu. It's shocking. But, you know, women were just, would never be called as witnesses in a court of law. Right? So, um, I just wanted to set up the lesson like that, that we, to encourage us that we have every reason to believe the gospel of the resurrected Jesus in spite of how foolish it seems to many people in the world. What we believe is not fiction, it is history. Amen? Great. Okay, well, please turn your Bibles to John chapter 20, and we will read about that first witness of the resurrection. In the other Gospels, you have a group of women, including Mary, going to the empty tomb uh, to fully prepare the body for a, a proper burial. You know, they were rushed by the Sabbath. They weren't allowed to do certain things on the Sabbath. John focuses on Mary. Okay, he only mentions Mary. Verse 11. Now, okay, now Mary has arrived there and she sees that the tomb is empty. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. 
one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? You know, firstly, um, let me ask you, have you lost someone who's really dear to you? Any of you? I think all of us probably have. How do you feel in that time of grieving? What sort of words come to mind? Sorry? Devastated. Devastated, yeah. Devastated, sad, sorrowful, but also empty. I felt that, you know, when I've had, um, you know, a good friend pass away suddenly, when my parents have passed away, um, I feel empty. You know, that part of your life that they filled and were such an important part of has gone. You know, there is an emptiness. And that is what Mary felt. You know, as she came to the empty tomb, there was emptiness. There was already emptiness because, you know, the Jesus, who she spent so much time with, uh, during the three years he was, you know, um, on mission in, in his ministry on earth, she was with him. You know, he was a tangible presence. And although, you know, being with the body of Jesus didn't, wouldn't have filled the emptiness completely, um, I think that, you know, as she would have tended the body, it would have provided, I think, some healing and closure, don't you think? Yeah. No, so now there's emptiness on emptiness. You know, Mary is deeply sad. She's weeping. She's empty because the body of Jesus isn't there. Now, I'm going to speak about emptiness this morning because the human condition involves emptiness. Um, emptiness is also the, a part of the life of discipleship. When we choose to follow Jesus with a willingness to give up everything, it leaves an emptiness in us. It's normal. You know, we give up things of the world. But that emptiness is filled by God, at least, you know, initially. We spend time with God. We, we love reading the Bible. We pray a lot. We serve God's people. We're out on mission. We're involved in projects to help the poor. We form our best friendships in the fellowship. Now we build memories together with our brothers and sisters. And life is fulfilling. But for many Christians, and I just want to say that this does linking with some of our EHS, you know, lessons we've been giving. For many Christians, that start doesn't continue with, the in, with, with that same level, level of intensity. Our first love for, for God and our, first, and, and our love for God's people wanes and some emptiness comes back. And then we start to fill up the emptiness with the tangible things that we left behind. And I'm going to go through a, a list, and this is a long list and it's not even a complete list. But I'm sure that all of you here will, will relate to at least one thing I'm going to mention now. Tangible things in the world that we take back in, right, to fill the emptiness. Food. Now, food isn't bad in itself, right? But when we fill the emptiness with food to, to feel good, you know, comfort eating, some people do that to fill the emptiness. Exercise and sport to help, you know, can help fill the emptiness. When we extreme, you know, when we go to the gym and work out and look at our bodies in the mirror and flex our muscles, and you know, when, we, when we spend a lot of time you know, exercising and we do that because it makes us feel good, makes us look good. We like the compliments we get, right? We like competition, we like winning races, we like improving our personal best. 
That's taking on something, a tangible, to fill the, the emptiness. Comfort. You know, we love sitting around, we love getting home, kicking up our feet on our favorite lazy boy or couch. Love the snacks next to us, right? We like being comfortable, the coffee there, the TV there, right? We just, man, we earn and we deserve some comfort, right? But it can fill the emptiness. Gaming can fill the emptiness. We get skilled at it. You know, we reach new levels of, of excellence. We meet people from elsewhere in the world that's fulfilling. It fills the emptiness. Appearance and beauty, right? Appearance and beauty, how we look, the clothes we wear, the makeup we put on, the hours we spend dressing before we're going out. Going out. We like the affirmation it gives. Hi, oh, sister, you look awesome. Hey, brother, you're looking smart. Right? We can turn to beauty and appearance to fill the emptiness. Reading romantic novels um, can also, for some people, that fills the emptiness of, of unfulfilled relationship. Or we seek fulfillment in relationships. You know, that guy makes me feel good. He makes me feel important. He affirms me. He compliments me. Now, that sister or that woman, you know, says I'm, I'm awesome. That helps fill the emptiness. We get into habits that can quickly become addictions. Alcohol, drugs, pornography, other things. They make us feel good. They give us instant gratification. They fill the emptiness for a while. Social media can fill the emptiness, right? Now we post all those selfies. We love the likes. Oh, sister, you look awesome. Where are you? We love the engagement. We make our lives Instagrammable. I'm not sure if that's a word, Sibu. But... <laughs> No, we want our lives to be Instagrammable. <clears throat> no, we love the feedback. We love the peer recognition. <clears throat> Social media can fill the emptiness. And here's a common one. We fill the emptiness with work. We build careers. We get affirmation. We find meaning. We love our bosses giving us good performance ratings. We love the promotions because it makes us feel good. Fills the emptiness. We strive for more degrees. Education and intellect earn us respect and open doors for bigger and better things. You know? Full the emptiness. We travel to exotic places for new experiences. You know, we love the new culture, the experiences. Full the emptiness. We turn to religion even to fill the emptiness. My Bible's literally falling apart. Amen. That is a well-used Bible, yep. Okay, get back on track. At least it's not the passage I'm reading. Okay, we even, we even can turn to religion to fill the emptiness. You know, we rigidly do quiet times at certain times of the day, and we pray at certain times of the day. Um, we can even set targets for ourselves to meet a certain number of people in a day. Uh, church leaders like churches to grow. You know, we feel we are doing well. We are affirmed, you know, when churches grow. And we get stuck into doing for God without being with God. Religion can fill the emptiness. We fill the emptiness with possessions, gadgets, devices. And if you're lucky, maybe a new car and a bigger house gives us a sense of importance. Fills the emptiness. Investments, financial investments can fill the emptiness. So many things. Now, these things are not inherently wrong. We're going to get to that, right? But these things I've mentioned are attractive 
because we can feel them and we can experience them, we can enjoy them in a tangible way. They're tangible. And they give us satisfaction quickly. They make us feel good. They fill the emptiness. Now we read in Colossians 1 verse 16, I'm not going to turn there, but there we read that all things are created by God. All things are created through God. And then there are two really important words at the end of that verse. All things are created by God, for God. Now God's good creation is for us to enjoy, certainly. But our, the, the tangible things in the world we should use to glorify God, not to fill the emptiness. Get that? God's created things are not to be worshipped. And when we focus so much on the tangibles, we can so easily worship the creation rather than the creator. Now, when we use these things not for God's glory, but to fill our emptiness, it affects our walk with God, undermines our faith. Now, when we become dependent on the tangibles for our joy and our sense of purpose, now, when we fill the emptiness with things like food and fitness and looks and beauty and, and health and relationships and sex and achievement, with career and travel and religion, with social media, with relationships and the like, we become dependent on them instead of being happy, being filled with God. You know, we read this in Psalm 115. Amen. And this is about tangibles, although it doesn't use the word. Psalm 115 from verse 1 to 3 initially. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. You know, people go around saying that you don't experience God. You know, your God isn't around. There's an emptiness your God is in, in heaven. You have nothing tangible to hold on to. And then they come up with things to fill the emptiness. Verse 4. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor, the, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. You know, these things that people make look real. I mean, they look like the real deal. They promise much, but they deliver nothing. And that's the thing about tangibles. They are temporary and they are limited. They promise much, but they deliver nothing that lasts. Our health won't last forever. Beauty fades. Um, Money disappears. Relationships fail or one person dies. <laughs> Religion burns us out. Devices break. You know, money just disappears. Possessions don't last. And the real point he makes, the writer of the psalm, is in verse 8. He says, those who make them, these are these idols, these tangibles, that replace the God they can't see, those that make them, those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. We become like the idols. We become like the tangible things that we worship and use to fill us up. 
You know, the man-made things that fill the emptiness end up ruling us, and we become like them. You know, we are created to be God's image bearers, right? We are created to represent and show God, to show the world what God is like. But when we're filled with all of these tangible things, we hide God. No, we hide the image in which we are created. God doesn't shine through. You know, if I was just filled with all of these empty things, you know, the tangible things to fill the emptiness, God doesn't shine through. We have to get rid of the tangible things, you know, that we use to fill the emptiness in us to to get back on track, you know, to live out our God-given purpose to be His image bearers. So, let's get back to John 20. Should have mentioned we're going back there. If you need, if you, someone who likes to keep their finger in a place. Don't, I've never seen anybody actually keep their finger in a place. But John 20. We all know where John is, right? Great. Let me read from verse 11 again, and then I'll read a, a bit further than that. Now Mary stood out the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at, and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Okay, so, so Mary sees someone, doesn't recognize it, it's, you know, this is Jesus, asks him, assumes he's the gardener. No, yes, he was the gardener, right? But not in a way that she understood. The Gospel of John is all about new creation. And in the garden, Adam, the garden of Eden, Adam was the gardener. And Jesus is the gardener in a sense. He is the gardener in God's new creation. Now Jesus is, is the firstborn of new creation, and in Christ we are part of new creation. That's the underlying message in, in John. Um, then let's, let's continue. Okay, she then recognizes Jesus when, or Jesus said to her, sorry, I haven't read this yet. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned, she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. So at this point, she recognized Jesus as teacher, as Lord. She recognized Jesus. Now, Jesus then says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now, I've always found this a bit of a strange passage. I don't know about you. I mean, if you were in Mary's position, you know, you thought that Jesus, well, you know, you know, you, it's not just, oh, I think he's dead. You really believe he's dead because you saw him dying and now his, his body isn't there. And then Jesus appears. I mean, what would your first instinct be? Mine would be to hug him. <laughs> to, oh, Jesus is so good. You know, you're alive. But Jesus says, no, don't. Don't touch me. You can't take hold of me. At a surface level, we might think that this isn't very, this isn't very loving of Jesus, right? 
I mean, it doesn't seem very loving of Jesus. But the point is, I mean, Jesus is love, right? So Jesus doesn't do anything that isn't loving. So what is Jesus actually up to here? You know, I believe that at least part of what's going on is that Jesus is saying to Mary, things are going to be different now. You can't hold on to me to fill your emptiness. I'm not going to become just another tangible. When I'm not here anymore and life goes on, you have to build your life and your faith on that empty tomb. You need to build your life on emptiness. I am not going to be here in a tangible way the way I have been. Now, we have a faith built on an empty tomb. That's pretty cool, actually. And it's full of power. Let's read Romans 8. Romans 8, I'll read from verse 11 to 12. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation that is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You know, the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And that gives us power not to live as the world does, not to fill our lives with tangibles. Now, the Spirit of God, the very presence of God, should fill the emptiness. And it's available. You know, the Spirit of God is available because of, of resurrection. You know, but do we, do we embrace or do we even understand this, this countercultural way of, of thinking and living? You know, that our life and our faith is actually built on emptiness. Now, or do we conform to the patterns of the world that we need to hold on to the things we see? We need to place our trust and get our affirmation and our sense of purpose and belonging for things you know, that we can touch and see and feel. You know, do we perhaps place our hope in tangibles the way the world does? Now, I just want to share a little bit of my story. As a disciple, okay, firstly, let me mention that I'm a very physical person. We're all physical, obviously, but I love doing things. I love experiencing things. Um, I, love, I love running. I like exercising. Um, my love language is physical touch. Okay, I'm, a, I'm a physical person. To the detriment of other parts of my character, let me just say that. Okay, I'm not bragging. But, and I think all of us, but especially because of my character and nature, I guess, I have struggled at times to experience God fully because I can't see Him. I can't audibly hear Him. I can't touch Him. Because God is not tangible. Now, God is not tangible like all the other things that can fill me up and that are real and I can experience. God is real, but not in a tangible, feelable way. And often when I have grappled with, with choices, and I've, I've prayed, you know, through, through different situations. I so wish God could speak to me in an audible, audible voice. Can you guys relate to, <laughs> relate to that? You know, I, I so wish that he could be with me and speak to me like he did with Abraham and Moses, you know, and others in the Bible. Sometimes, and Nolene knows this, 
I've looked at a wall and I've said, I just wish God would write it on the wall. Come on, God. You know, <laughs> let your finger come out and just write it on the wall. I mean, you did it with King Belshazzar. You know, why can't you do it with me? And God reminds me, that was a message of judgment and doom, buddy. You know, you know necessarily what. But anyway, I just wish that God would write something. Tell me something. Am I alone yet, hey? You know, and I've, in times like this, I feel a strong temptation to fill up the emptiness with tangible things. Is it only me? Well, I put myself out here. No. We can all, re- we can, we can all say this to some extent, right? That we have a temptation to fill ourselves with tangibles, the emptiness that we experience. Yeah, I'll put this up because you're not going to find this in the Bible, but it's pretty awesome. Um, this is a, an author, Thomas Dubay, who, who sort of writes on you know, spirituality. <clears throat> he wrote this, Love for God is perceived not as pleasant, but as a painful yearning for what one seems not to have, because painful is often perceived as no love at all, and yet it may be deeper. I'll share this and you guys can meditate on this, okay? It's a deep, deep you know, saying and quote. But in other words, you know, what, what he's saying is because our relationship with God is built on an emptiness and because we are trained to want the tangibles, we get to a point where our relationship with God seems to bring more pain, more difficulty, and to not fill us up as we want. The more we pursue God and, and don't find Him the way we want to, the more pain and disappointment we can feel. And so we pull back. But Dubay says that if you hang in there, if you endure, you'll find it deeper than anything you can experience through any of the tangibles. You know, in Hebrews 11, we read that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You know, and what we hope for and do not see, we remember on this day in particular, is resurrection. You know, that Jesus resurrected from the dead, and that is our hope, that is our sure hope of resurrection. That is what we hope for. You know, true faith, in other words, is not built on things tangible. True faith is built on things we do not see and experience. We know that what looks like emptiness to others is the real treasure. You know, we know that tangibles will leave us feeling more empty. The tangibles don't fill us. They're going to let us down. We know that tangible things, you know, that we're tempted to, to hold on to, to fill the emptiness, they don't last. They promise much, but they deliver little. Why? Because we know that Jesus walked out of the grave. We know that Jesus walked out of the grave, the foundation of our faith. And we know that Jesus has exposed the tangibles for what they are, walking face first, willingly, into the biggest tangible of all, and slaying it, death. The biggest tangible of all is death. It's the one thing we are certain of. It's the one thing we will experience. It's the one thing we run away from. It's the thing that we are fearful of. And it's our fear of death that often causes us to fill up our lives with all the other stuff. Right, to get as much done, to collect as much as possible before I get old and before I die. So Jesus confronted the biggest tangible of all, and he defeated it. And that's what we remember today. Now, there are no tangibles that can fill us up, church. Now, the power of the cross, 
alone. The power of the empty tomb, the power of emptiness is the only thing that can fill us you know, in a way that is completely fulfilling and give us hope. And here's the thing, people hear the Christian story. People might even be listening to this lesson. They may say that, you know, skeptical people in the world say that you guys have got an empty faith. You know, show me, where is your God? You know, this is, it's empty. And we say, you better believe it. Yes, I have an empty faith. Let me tell you about how God emptied himself on the cross and let me tell you about the empty tomb. Let me tell you how he rose from the dead. Yes, we do have an empty faith. But we tell them there is tremendous power in, in our empty faith. This faith that is grounded not on tangibles, but in the empty tomb. Amen. We have an empty faith, church. Thank you. Great.